Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Teach Me Something. Today, I have Dan Schoner, who's a friend of mine from a long time, but not only is he a friend of mine, he is an amazing mentalist. Um, I've had the pleasure of watching him work and seeing him do his thing multiple times and only at formal parties, but just hangouts and, you know, different times that he'd have a deck of cards and he'd, you know, show us a trick or, or do whatever. So it was really cool to be able to actually interview him and sit down and talk to him about what he does and how he came to be what he is and all of that stuff. Um, I do want to mention a quick story uh, because we do talk about this in a part of the episode and I want to give you a backstory so you understand what we're talking about when that time comes. So a couple years ago we were at a Christmas party and he did a performance and he asked one of our friends Nick for his watch and Nick handed over like his new Movado watch and uh, Dan took the watch and he smashed it in his hand with like a hammer. So he broke the face, he broke the, the watch and everything. And then he took a polishing rag and um, with that he polished the the watch kind of and restored it back to its original face, its original uh, format. So, format. <laughs> what is it? original format? What is this? Like a computer? Or, like its original stage. So, stage. Original state. So... Um, it was really cool. That was awesome. So that was one of the first times I actually got to see him perform and it was one of the things that kind of stood out to me. So, um, that's what we talk about later on in the episode. So I just kind of also wanted to say, you know, Dan is, like I said, he's amazingly talented at what he does. He's the youngest headliner in the cruise industry and he's worked for companies like Harley Davidson, Movado, MGM, Coca-Cola, and M&T Bank. So he is with the big shots. He knows what he's doing. And it was so fun to talk to him about magic and mentalism and what he does and how he does it and how he came to be. So without further ado, here's my chat with Dan. I hope you enjoy. Shoner, but on stage I just go by Shoner. But, Shoner, uh, okay. But the O has like a line through it. It's like the Norwegian O or something. A friend of mine, uh, Anna, they're from. She's from Norway, and she had that in her last name. And I always thought that would be cool. So okay, I just put it in my name. So I, I was wanted a one word name like Beyonce or like Madonna <laughs> or something like that or Prince. So I was like Shoner, Shoner, last name. And my dad really didn't want me to change it. Okay, nice. Okay, yeah. so how long have you been doing this? Uh, I started when I was 14, so it's been about 10 years now. Okay. Yeah, I started when I was a freshman in high school. Gotcha. So what got you interested in doing this? Uh, I kind of have an unorthodox way of uh, how I got into magic. Most kids get that magic kit when they're nine years old from their grandma or something, and they mm-hmm. start doing magic for their family, and they go down that route. I've always hated that story. I thought it was okay. so awful, like, because every magic kit sucks. Like, yeah, there's yeah, not yeah. good tricks in there. Um, but I, I remember watching David Blaine when I was a kid and I didn't really, you know, I thought his tricks were cool. I didn't know they worked, but I knew there was something, but, uh, I thought he was kind of cool. But when I was 14, I kind of, I started wa- learning the tricks off of YouTube. Okay. Um, and card tricks specifically, cause there's millions on YouTube. Like even today still, you can learn so much. You like you, you could learn everything you need to know about cards and card tricks from YouTube, honestly. Um, but I started off on there and it was just because... I got cut from the football team. Okay. And uh, that I wasn't really expecting that. That was kind of out of nowhere for me. Like, um, I was always, like, team captain and stuff growing up on rec. And then freshman year comes around, and all my friends made the team. Like, kids that I've been growing up playing with forever, except for me. Mm-hmm. So uh, that year, I didn't really have anything to do. And we'd be in class, and they'd be talking about practice and stuff, and I couldn't relate. And I didn't really have anything to interject. 
And one day I had a midlife crisis in the shower when I was like 14. Okay. And I was like, what am I good at? <laughs> I was like, what I am I going to do with my life? I have friends that are better than me at football. I have friends that are better than me at video games. Like, what's my thing? So I guess I was searching for something. And then uh, one day in the back of Mr. Chang's geometry class, I still remember, uh, I was watching these two kids play this game and they were seniors in a freshman year geometry class. So you can already get an idea what kind of guys these guys were. Okay. And they were playing this game where I went uh, to a school where, you know, back in the day people were like hustling like any given day you could walk in the bathroom and there were people shooting dice on the floor okay like, with money uh-huh so there were a lot of like kind of hustlers around the school and they're playing this game where one of them he had a coin and he would put it behind his back and he would put it in one of his hands and then the other guy had to guess which hand it was in and they're playing a dollar per round right. and i remember sitting there watching and uh, we had a substitute that day so everyone was just doing whatever they wanted and this guy won 20 games in a row and all he was doing, I had, I was sitting at the right angle, was every time he put his hand behind his back, he just put the quarter on the chair. So it didn't matter what hand the other guy said, he would just bring out the empty hand, and then he would pick it up with the other one and bring it out. And I was already thinking of, like, better ways to do that trick. But it worked on this guy, and I was like, well, I'm smarter than he is. Uh-huh. And this is, I didn't have money, like, the only time I made money was from birthdays and holidays, I was 14, I have a job. So I was like, if he can hustle, hustle people for buddy, like, I would be able to do it way better. Mm-hmm. So I went home and I Googled <laughs> on my grandmom's computer how to hustle people. <laughs> and I learned about a bunch of games, like the three shell game and stuff like that. And, uh, and then I learned a video teaching a card trick. And it was like, earn lots of money with this card trick. I didn't want anything serious, just something like, you know, dollar per game or something like that. Exactly what he was doing. Um but then I saw a video teaching card trick and I did it to my grandma. She's like, what do you mean a card chart? And I like something about cards. Like they felt natural in my hands. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't explain it. But I started practicing a lot. And one day I'm sitting in the back of Spanish class. And uh, this girl has asked why I have cards. And I showed her this card trick and she freaked out. Like she screamed so loud that everyone in the class jumped. Mm-hmm. And uh, like my teacher jumped so hard. She was writing on the board and the marker like flew out of her hands and everyone turned around, and she's like, he just did this crazy magic trick. And for the first time, I had all eyes on me. Mm-hmm. You get this, like, adrenaline rush the first time you do a magic trick, and it's like a drug, and you just kind of keep learning more and more. And then uh, over the years, I kind of just kept doing it in high school. I finally had my thing. I started to get popular for the first time mm-hmm. ever. People knew who I was. They knew that I was the guy that was doing magic. Like, I would see people talk about me from, like, across the hall. And it was like, I'm, I kind of started, had my own thing, and it was easy to me, and I kept just practicing more and more. And eventually I just got so good at it to where I started uh, going to schools for it and stuff. And I started comparing myself to other kids my age. And I was like, I'm just as good or better than everybody else here. Like, mm-hmm. I think I could genuinely do this for a living. And when I had some, like, professional guys that are, like, workers uh, that are done have achieved a lot of things in the magic world, tell my dad that, like, I'm different than the other kids. Like, I'm good. To me, that was all I needed to be like, yeah, okay, I'm mm-hmm. going to keep doing this. Yeah. And you told me before we started recording that you're the youngest headliner for a cruise. Is yeah, that, is that correct? in the cruise industry. In the cruise industry. That's yeah. that's impressive. So Yeah, there's a lot of performers in there. I mean, of all types of uh, jugglers and like from to Motown singers to ventriloquists, all that, like, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, there aren't many mentalists, which I think is how I kind of snuck in there. Yeah. Like, it's just uh, enough of a novelty to where they're like, yeah, well keep them around yeah so when you were telling your story initially you said that you kept using the word magic so what is the difference between magic and mentalism um it's kind of the same it's excuse me just kind of the style of it is what makes it so like magic is the illusion that you have magical powers you can make things appear disappear whereas mentalism is you have the illusion of super supernatural mental powers where you Mm -hmm. can like read someone's mind or 
guess what they're thinking or know what they're going to do before they do it, that kind of thing. So it's both magic. It's both using, you know, kind of sleight of hand and misdirection and all the same principles. It's just with mentalism, sometimes there's a little bit more psychology in like a different way. Okay. Um, but it's more of a verbal art form as opposed to magic, which is more of a physical one for sleight of hand and that kind of thing. Gotcha. So at what point did you make the shift from just basic magic to then realizing that you would you like mentalism better? Well, I talked about David Blaine earlier, watching him as a kid, and I remember he did a lot of card magic tricks, and I thought they were cool, but you know, I knew they there was a trick behind them. I knew had to work that way somehow but then I saw a video of him doing this trick where he told someone to think of something and then he like stared at them in their eyes for a few seconds and then he drew it and he had them draw what they were thinking of and it was the exact same thing mm. and I remember watching that and thinking you know okay well, look card tricks are one thing but how could that be a trick like mm -hmm. it looks like he just read that person's mind I couldn't understand how it was a trick so from a young age it kind of stuck with me that I thought that was more interesting whatever that was called I didn't know what it was but I was just like oh wow it looked to me, that just was a cooler trick. So years later, I find out that's a different category of magic called mentalism. Like, there's a lot of categories of magic in the magic world. There's, like, stage manipulation. There's close-up magic. There's coin magic. There's, like, thimble magic. It's, there's so many different categories. And mentalism is just one of those themes, I guess. But it's all in the same sort of realm. Gotcha. Okay. So then you mentioned David Blaine. Are there what, Who else do you look up to or who else are you inspired by? Blaine was definitely one of the big ones. I mean, uh, just because he, to me, is the first ma magician that made magic look cool. Mm -hmm. You know, he was wearing all black. He was just like a kind of good looking guy, but mysterious. And He wasn't the guy with the top hat. He wasn't all over the stuff. top and stuff. It was like he could just walk up to you somewhere and do some crazy stuff. And that's kind of why he blew up, because he had an idea. He was the first magician to kind of have that idea, just be like, let's take the camera and the magic to the streets and get real people, real reactions. Uh, let's not do a show in a theater or anything like that. Um, but David Copperfield also, like, he's kind of the opposite. He's the cheesy, hair-blowing in the wind from the 80s type, you know, with uh, Phil Collins' music playing. Mm -hmm. But he's the most successful solo entertainer of all time. People don't know this. I'll teach you something right now. Yeah. David Copperfield is the most successful solo entertainer of all time. He has sold oh, wow. more tickets than Michael Jackson, Madonna, and Elvis combined. Oh, wow. People don't know no that. Idea. And he's still going, too. He's like 60-something, and he still does two shows a day in Vegas. The dude loves to work. He's notorious in the magic world for being, like, the hardest worker. That's why he is where he is. Wow, that's great. I d actually, I did see David Copperfield, Copperfield one time live, yeah. and there was one Most one Most humans on Earth have. That's what's really? crazy. Yeah, like... Wow, that's insane. There was one, one thing that he did was that there was people were on stage and we were all watching him on stage with all these people. And then the next thing it was like a curtain went up and then everything dropped and they were all in the back of the yeah. theater. Like that that's was one of his insane. signatures for a while going around. Yeah. That's what I like about magicians too. Like every magician throughout time has had signature tricks that like mm -hmm. they made their own and they were like known for. And that one was Copperfield is one of his for a while. I remember I saw his show when I was like eight and, uh, or nine. I was really young and skeptical and all that kind of thing. And, I remember a lot of the show, like, I kind of saw through it. I was always a pretty logical kid. I don't think I was really better than anyone at figuring out magic tricks, though. Like, now I don't get fooled too often, but back then, like, I felt like I was a normal person. But he made this, like, 1950s car appear on stage, like this Chevy from, like, on a platform that you could see underneath. And it was, like, massive and, like, turquoise. And uh, that really blew my mind. That's really? Cool, yeah. He like opened with that too. That was like first or second trick. And I was like, okay. Like, uh, now I'm in. And yeah. I've never seen a magic show before. And that's like my first one. I'm like, wow. 
And when you do, you ever watch like Penn and Teller stuff? Yeah, like the, I love the Penn and Teller. Me. Are fantastic. Yeah, Fool Us is. That's it, yeah. I think it's okay. I've had a lot. Do you of, ever get fooled, or do you know what they're yeah, doing? Yeah, I mean, I, sometimes but I have a lot of friends that have been on it. Like the Magic uh, okay. World's really small. I mean, it's a. I think it's a great show for magicians. But I can tell you for a fact that some a lot of the people that haven't that have fooled them, they weren't really fooled. Uh, okay. Like. It's just, they're kind of doing a lot of guys a favor in America, like, you know, because if you fool Penn and Teller, that's going to be great marketing for you. You can use that for all your corporate clients. You have great footage. That's the whole kind of point of the show is you're going to get like seven, eight minutes of primetime live TV real footage. And that's why a lot of guys do it. Um, but, you know, they have to get fooled from time to time if they didn't get fooled. Now, there are a lot of guys that have legitimately done it because uh, one of them was a teacher at the magic school I used to go to. And he, he talked about how he went into that, how fooling Penn and Teller. And he was like, you just got to think about the type of magic that they're professionals in and the type of magic they don't know much about. Like, I know way more about card magic than Penn & Teller are ever going to know. Mm -hmm. So if you just use some of that stuff, like, that's not their area of expertise. You're going to fool them easier than trying to fool them with a stage illusion, which is yeah. their kind of genre. Same with, like, Copperfield. You know, he doesn't do close-up stuff. Like, close-up magicians could fry David Copperfield. It could show him probably, like, I know certain certain guys that are some of the best in the world and they could do 10 tricks in a row for Copperfield and fool them every single time. Really? Like, yeah, that's, there's some guys out here doing just crazy stuff, but the ones that make it, it seem like, are the ones that have such distinct personalities. Mm-hmm. Okay. <coughs> so then what, um, as far as, like, tricks that have inspired you, do you have any tricks that you're based off of other people or other people from history or any of that kind of stuff? Um, I don't really have any tricks that I do that kind of emulate that. I mean, certain ones, like, I, I'll take a small part of, but uh, my favorite, like, tricks are just ones that I like to think about. I don't really emulate because it's, like, it took a lot of dedication. Like, there was a guy named uh, Max Molini. He was around in, like, the late 1800s. He was one of the most famous, like, magicians in the world at that time. And he's just, like, small, fat Turkish man. And he was just known for being fearless. And he would walk up to any politician or any actor or whatever. And his signature opener was he would just walk up to you mid-crowd grab your jacket and like bite the button off mm. like without saying words or anything and then he would like have it in his mouth and have it in his teeth and he would take it out and he would put it back on the jacket and like blow and when he would let his hands go the, your button's just sewn on the jacket still what? and then they'd be like what and then he would go into more stuff and he kind of pioneered like what we call impromptu close-up magic which is just literally like going into a venue and kind of just like having all of these things pre-planned but making it seem like everything's happening off the top of your head mm. but being like so far ahead of everyone that you're sitting around that like they have no idea they're about how like blown their minds are about to be because you're so far ahead of them like yeah um his one of his things that he used to do uh this was like his signature was he would roll like back then people had walking liberty coins they're like the big dollars and you would roll one and one of them had like an eagle and then the other one had the blind justice lady or whatever it's called he would roll it and drop a top hat on top of this back in the day when everyone wore hats. And you'd be sitting at dinner with him for the past two hours or whatever. He would always do this to reporters or like rich people, socialites that he would hang out with, the celebrities. And he would roll it and he'd put the hat on top and they had to guess heads or tails. And they would always be right. Like, And he would lift it up and it was right. He would spin it again, heads or tails. They'd be right. The third time when he would go to spin it, he'd put the hat down and say heads or tails. And they would say it and he would lift up the hat and the coin would be frozen in a block of ice. What? And, and this is like in the late 1800s. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's ice like wasn't they, readily available. They don't have readily available <laughs> ice in the freezers and stuff. Like, wow. 
and he'd been sitting at the, he'd never left the table. Like he'd be sitting there for two hours, like, and the ways he would go about it, like how far he would go out of his way to make a trick happen. Like mm-hmm. there's an old story of him going to a dry cleaners where this general had his suits that he was going to be, and he was going to be at this party Malini was performing at in like a week or something. And he paid the dry cleaner like $100 to sew a card into the general's jacket. And then he did a card trick to him two weeks later. And it was like he made it be the card that was in his jacket. And wow. he, they had the general cut open his freaking jacket and the card was, the in, card there. was in there. Yeah, and it's like experiencing that as a person, like that happened to you. And that, like that's what real magic feels like. He, you know, he went so out of his way to where he had a couple signature tricks. He only had, he only had like nine tricks that he ever did. But mm-hmm. like they were so strong and so well thought out that he became kind of a legend of his time. So you were, <coughs> you were saying earlier that you went to school for this. So what was what was that like? What kind of school did, was it and how, you know, what, did, what does that look like? Um, it's kind of like the real life Hogwarts. Really? Honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's exactly what people think. I mean, you get there and you're sorted based on ages and stuff like that. And uh, they take you into a little room when you first sign in and they have you show them a couple moves, like moves that all magicians should know. And they watch you do them. And based on how how good you do them, they rank you on your skill, and then that's how they divide you in the classes. Um, and then uh, it's a week long kind of summer camp, and they rent out a uh, Bryn Mawr College in Pennsylvania, so it even looks like Hogwarts because oh, it's wow. all that old kind of castle style. Yeah. So it was pretty surreal. I went there for the first time, I think, when I was sixteen, and they put us in the college dorms because that's what it is, and we all had a roommate. And uh, and I did the advanced close up class my first year. And uh, they even have competitions like the first day of camp or second day of camp, you audition for the competitions and they have like a uh, uh, junior and senior close up competition, junior and senior uh, um, and stage competition. And then they have like the beginner and advanced levels and you basically just compete against the other people that are your age and your skill level and it's like you have five minutes to do whatever you want like any sequence of tricks or routine or whatever and then everyone in the camp auditions and then the first they pick the four finalists and then you have all week to do it and on the final night of camp everyone competes like the the finalists and then they pick the winner the next day the last day of camp so my first year I didn't want to do it and I was talked into um, doing it by one of the counselors there and I ended up becoming a finalist. Really? Yeah. And, uh, and I technically I finished first, but because it was a competition and they have rules, I went 30 seconds over and they docked so many points for me that I, they got bummed down to third. Oh, okay. Cause that was, that's a long time apparently yeah, to be over. So I was kind of bummed about that, but what, um, how long have you gone? Uh, I went for, I think four years straight. I haven't been in like two years, I think. Um, but I went the last year I was there. I was a counselor in training, and uh, I was one of the youngest ones that they've had in a long time. David Blaine actually went there when he was a kid. Um, a lot of like top magicians went there as kids. Actually, Adrian, um, what's his name, Brody, the actor. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually went there when he was a kid too. Oh really? Yeah, he he started off doing like magic and stuff as a okay. kid. A couple of the counselors that are there now, like one of them was his roommate. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what's the the camp or the school called? It's called Tannen's Magic Camp. Okay, yeah, gotcha. It's every summer in Bryn Mawr College. It's awesome. I mean, they have some of the best magicians in the world, too. Some of them are kind of awful. I'm not going to lie, also. Mm-hmm. They have a little bit of both, but they come in from all over the world and uh, perform every night. There's, like, a show every day in the afternoon. There's a lecture, and everyone, like, talks about different stuff. And they have different classes you can take. So they have classes based on comedy magic, classes based on kids' show magic, 
advanced close-up, advanced stage, all that kind of stuff. So oh, wow. you do the classes based on what you're interested in. And, uh, and yeah, and I mean, the, the most valuable part is just the people that you meet there. A lot of like really big name magicians in the magic world will stop by and that kind of thing throughout the week. Even if they just drop in for a night, it's like, oh, these are guys like, oh, that's Danny Garcia. I used to watch his DVDs when I was 14 like, mm -hmm. and learn from him and now I'm seeing him in person. So you, so you have a lot of like mini celebrities in the magic world. and Okay. Uh, so that's kind of cool. But is that how you made your connections to do the cruise and other other jobs? No, or but, I mean, those? I've made those connections, like, that have gotten me some cool stuff. Like, they've got me some backstage stuff in, in Vegas shows and that kind of thing, guys mm -hmm. that work down there. But that's not how I got into cruises. Cruises was a whole, like, kind of different thing. Okay, gotcha. Um, do you, um, what would be, what do you consider to be your coolest trick or something that's... Similar? You know, everyone always asks that because everyone always wants to see, like, especially if, they, if they're like, I have time for one trick. They're like, all right, show me your best trick. Like everyone thinks mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I have this one, but it's, I don't know, it's hard because there are, I would say I have five tricks that are the ones that most people talk to me about. But okay. sometimes like the one trick that this person thinks is my best trick, another person's like, yeah, that one's good, but I like this one more because everyone, people like it for different reasons. Mm -hmm. So that's the one cool thing about magic, I think, is you got to have a variety of tricks because some people are going to like some and dislike others. It's just like anything, like you're not going to like every musicians song on their album yeah you know like you're, there's gonna be some that you don't really care for it's the same thing for tricks like mm -hmm. i do this thing now where i hammer a nail into my face and uh some people don't like that trick mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah. some of my fans don't like that trick but i love that trick uh-huh and i'm gonna keep doing it yeah i remember um, one time i don't know if this was a flop or not but i remember one time at one party you like hammered a um a, a watch like into your yeah, yeah. into your hand and you drew blood. I don't know if that was yeah, supposed yeah. to happen or not. The blood not. wasn't supposed to happen. I was supposed <laughs> to destroy the watch. There was a uh, prank I was playing on my friend, our friend Nick. Okay. Because um, he was like messing with me a couple months beforehand about my me and my ex or something, and I was in my feelings. So I found <laughs> this watch. He had just got this brand new Mavado watch, and I love Mavados. And he was showing it all to me. And I don't really like leather straps, to be honest, but I was humoring him. Mm -hmm. uh, but he kept talking shit, so I was like, okay. So I saw this watch on Wish that looked exactly like his. Oh, really? And I bought it because it was like $2, and I was like, I'm going to do something with his watch at the Christmas party. So again, this is one of those moments of planning so far in advance. So I ordered a watch like three months in advance that was a duplicate of his. And then during the show, I like did a little switcheroo, mm -hmm. and then I acted like I was smashing his watch in front of everybody. And I, during that time, I accidentally cut my hand open. Okay. I still finished the trick. I still restored the watch. Everything was good. But then uh, another friend, Cochise, came over. He thought that was part of the trick, that the blood was fake. And then he went to, like, suck my hand and he realized <laughs> it's remember. real blood. I do remember I that. I don't know what's weirder, the fact that he, like, immediately walked over and started sucking my hand or that I let him. Yeah. <laughs> Which one was worse than the other? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so besides that one, have there been any other, like, flops in any of your acts that... I haven't bombed in a while. I mean, I mean, I didn't flop. I mean, it was just, like... That's the first time I've ever drawn blood during a live mm -hmm. performance before. Um, I've only ever bombed, like, I, I would consider, like, bombing hard maybe twice. Okay. And it's been a while. It's been a long time. It's okay. It's been probably, yeah, the last time I really bombed was probably, I was maybe 17. Okay. So, so what did you, what not necessarily what happened, but, like, what did you learn from those? Did you, was there any, like, I learned that, oh, yeah, to prepare better. Okay. And, you know, always have outs for everything. I think about all the things that could go wrong now, and I, like, have a game plan of what to do if it does. Okay. But that's just all part of being a professional. I yeah. Mean, now I perform on ships for shows of, like, seven to 900 people at a time, and there's no 
you know, and I get rated, and based on my ratings, it determines how much more work I get for carnivals. So it's like, you know, you don't bomb here. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the bottom—it's not an option. Like, you got to keep it going no matter what. So, you know, you just preparing better. Honestly, okay. the other thing I learned from one of my bomb experiences was if you have someone helping you out with one of the methods, like secretly, if you have a backstage assistant or whatever, make sure you explain every detail to mm, them, no matter okay. how obvious you may think. That's what I'm going to leave it at. Is that Explain every detail. Every detail, because yeah. some things are, are I not. think that is important in life, too. I mean, I don't think you have to baby people, but sometimes, like, brains work differently, and something you think is so obvious you have to say it to someone else might not be. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So when you, um, <coughs> when you select or when you, like, find a person that you're going to use, like, either in a crowd, like, when you're working with 700 or 900 people, like, are there certain traits that you look for in a person? Are there certain things that kind of call out to you, or is it all random? Yeah, I've had some interesting conversations with other professional entertainers about this. Guys have been working for, that are much older than me, that have been working forever, jugglers specifically, because uh, he picked some great people during his shows. They were really fun on stage, they were comfortable, they had good banter, like, those are dream people. That's who you want every show, you know, mm-hmm. you want someone to be up there giving you something to work with um, because you're going to have your written jokes. You're going to have all the things that you always do that are always going to hit. But, right. you know, those real moments that people know from an audience that that could have only happened this show. Mm-hmm. That's what you want. And it's uh, it's tough getting that. I mean, uh, some advice that I've been given is that anytime the people that are pointing to someone else, mm. honestly, like you would think, not them, but like they're good. Oh, really? Like, yeah, because if they're playful enough to be like, oh, pick her, she'll be good, like, you probably should pick her. Uh-huh. Um, but as far as my show, it's a little different because the, as a mentalism show and because of the something I do at the beginning, I don't really ever have to choose people because they're just randomly chosen mm. um, and they have to kind of participate, but they don't come up on stage. Like, there's one time in the show where I ask for people to come up, but I don't point out specific people. I just... Uh, the way I do it, too, there's some psychology involved, but I just say the first four people that come up here will be who we use. And if you say it right, the right way and, you know, you've been good enough until that point point, the audience trusts you, there's always going to be people that come up. But the times that I do have to pick people, you know, a lot of it comes to just owning the room and owning the stage. And if I, I've really never had a problem with that because okay. if, if I just look at someone, I don't really give them the option to help me. Like, they're, I'm pointing at you and I'm talking to you and you're already going to help me. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't really have a choice here. Like, this is my show. Uh-huh. This is my room. So it's, it's not like, do you want to help me with this? And then they're like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. It's like, I talk to them and I'm like, so I want you to think of any card. Like, I go right into the trick. Okay. So now they're invested Yeah, at that point, and then at yeah. that point, if they say no, now you've just wasted my time and the audience's time. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how you have to do it. You have to kind of turn... I don't know. It's, it's all about kind of room psychology and like kind of power dynamics, but mm-hmm. turning it around a little bit. Yeah, I just never. I'm kind of like a dick when I'm on stage a little bit. Like <laughs> that's part of my character. So mm-hmm. it's like I'll make fun of the audience sometimes, and like it kind of works for me. Like I can just tell people to do things. Like I'll tell people to shut up during the show. Like mm-hmm. if they're talking, like, or I'll tell someone that yeah, I'm like uh, okay, I'm gonna come back to you, but you're really annoying me right now. I just want to tell you that. And, like, <laughs> it always gets a laugh. You know, I've, I've gotten away with being able to say smart things, which is nice because I can't hold back. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, having that there. So what, um, has there been any, like, um, can you go back to any, like, the top, you know, some of like, the exact show, but, like, any cool, like, venues or any cool, like, shows that you've done in the past or? Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of, all the carnival shows have been really cool. I mean, I don't get to perform like that anywhere else. Uh, I get a full tech team that works for me and, uh, 
you know, lighting and sound and all that. And the theaters are great. They're massive and they're really beautiful. So cruises are definitely the most fun as far as spectacle. Um, I've definitely done some cool, bizarre shows in other places, though. Like, not really bizarre, but I've performed at a lot of hotels. Like, I've seen a lot of really nice hotels doing corporate work and mm -hmm. working for private companies. Um, I've been to some crazy parties. The, the company that helped me get into the cruise industry, um, I did two parties for them, one in Fort Lauderdale and one in Miami. And both of them were crazy. Really? Like, both of them. The type of parties where they spent, like, over $150,000 just on alcohol. Wow. Yeah, like women dancing from the ceiling, like a whole thing. So wow. I, I've done two of those for them. Those were pretty cool. Um, those are tough gigs, though, but they're also easy gigs because you're yelling the whole time, but mm -hmm. you're only doing two or three tricks the whole time mm. also because it's all people have time for. Yeah. Like, and everyone's there networking and stuff, too. So uh, those are the type of gigs I like having the people who hired me or the event person literally just take me from group to group, and they do the work. Like Okay. That's something I've learned, too. If you have someone important that does an introduction for you right before they introduce you, someone else important, like, sells the whole thing. Like, if I walk up to you and I'm like, hey, they brought me here to do magic, these people are like, okay, well, I don't care. Who are you? Uh -huh. If someone they respect comes up and is like, have you seen Dan? He's here to do whatever. And they're like, oh, and they fake like they're interested. But then... Then they get interested. Yeah, but then I show them something. They're like, oh, shit. Uh-huh. Uh, like, now we're into it. Yeah. So how do you make those connections from when you were just starting out to being able to book these big events? <clears throat> I mean, it's a big grind, but like it's everything else. Like how everyone starts doing kids shows, you know, like some of my first schools right out of high school were library shows, that kind of thing, which I booked in the kids shows. For a while, I was just cold calling people. I was cold calling like independent living homes and being like, hey, you guys ever hire entertainment? I was doing shows for, you know, whatever I could. Um, restaurants were the big thing for me, though. I mean, restaurant performing is a big thing that's talked about in the magic world, and a lot of guys do. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did restaurant performing for probably five or six years uh, throughout a couple different places and it's really at those places I'd be there on like Friday Saturday nights for like two and a half hours and I would just be walking around performing for people that were waiting for their food mm -hmm. and I was doing them at some nicer like Italian restaurants and I would just meet people there that would book me for things like private parties and when I started doing nicer restaurants I was meeting more professional people that then started hiring me for professional events. And then at those events, I would meet other professional people that would hire me. So I've always really skated by on word of mouth and people that have seen me in person. Um, but it all started kind of from restaurants and meeting people there. But it's a good place to meet people. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So then um, just just to, to kind of wrap up, like what would you say to someone who's interested in this and doesn't know where to start? Or what would you be your, your suggestions to kind of hit the ground yeah I mean if you want to start getting into magic I mean uh, it's a great art form and there's so much about it it is very physically demanding though um, that is the one thing I'm gonna say but if you like doing things with your hands and you like kind of puzzles I would say it's good for you um, but honestly there's a lot of magic websites some of the big ones are theory11.com and illusionist e-l-l-u-s-i-o-n-i-s-t they sell playing cards and they have all types of different magicians and stuff on there and they have, like, streaming services now. They're basically, like, the Netflix for magic, but they teach you, like, they have all these different DVDs and, like, hour-long things on there that teach you moves and teach you full tricks, like, beginning, middle, and end, like, how to do them. They walk you through each and every move. They literally can give you everything they need you need to be a good, like, close-up magician. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's how you really got to start. Magic shops themselves are kind of going out, like... Mm. There's less and less. There used to be so many, but they're becoming less and less successful. The one that was a staple in Baltimore for decades just closed down six, seven months ago. Where one, was that one? It was in uh, Essex. 
Okay. And it was run by this guy named Denny Haney. It was called Denny and Lee's Magic Shop. I've been going there since I was probably 15, and he died, mm. and uh, they had to close the shop down. And now I don't have a magic shop I can actually go to, like, and see other magicians and stuff. So uh, it's, it's kind of becoming a dying thing, which is sad. Um, so it's all kind of being online-based now. You can watch other performers lecture and talk about their tricks and psychology. And uh, on websites like penguinmagic.com, there's a lot of books there you can buy and read about magic and that kind of thing. So there's definitely a lot of sources. I mean, you type in Learn Magic on Google, there's a lot. But yeah. I mean, and even like I said, if you don't want to spend money at all, YouTube. Yeah, that's what you said that you Start were off started, right? Card or... tricks on YouTube. Like, literally every site, you can learn these DVDs and stuff. You can learn on YouTube also. But, like, you just got to type it in and search it. And you might have to suffer through a couple videos of some kids doing it badly. But you get the idea and you work on it yourself. And then you understand what it's supposed to be like. That's kind of what happens is, like, you get better than the people on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And then you have to learn from a different source. So you, like, stop and then you start going to magic websites and that kind of thing and seeing people that are actually good and learning from them. But uh, yeah, books, DVDs, magic. There's actually more books written on magic than any other art form in the world. Oh, wow. So another teach you something. Yeah, exactly. I had no idea. Yeah. Okay. So How yeah, many hours sense. would you consider that you, you spent practicing? It's impossible to say. I mean, okay. I'm, I'm practicing all the time. Like, Because my practice time, I don't dedicate like an hour on Tuesday to it. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm just kind of, do I feel like practicing right now or do I feel like, because I don't think of it as practice. It's like, do I feel like I want to do something with my hands right now? And I'll pull out a deck of cards and start doing stuff and I'll just run through a bunch of different moves like it's all kind of muscle memory now it's all subconscious but mm -hmm. it's kind of like an everyday thing and then sometimes I'll go five six days and I won't even touch a deck of cards okay and then after that I'll perform every day and you mm -hmm. know so it's kind of up in the air but it's kind of just a lifestyle choice like it's something you have to always kind of be doing but because it most everything can fit in my pocket like you could tell from looking at me but right now I could do probably 30 minutes straight wow yeah okay that's impressive yeah and that all comes from just doing it for a long time mm -hmm. and I don't remember what I was saying and knowing what knowing what you're doing and all yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff okay alrighty well where can people find you if they wanted to follow you and uh, Instagram is my main thing you follow me on Instagram at Dan Schoener that's D-A-N-S-C-H-O-E-N-E-R I post all my cruise adventures there all my traveling and uh, a bunch of other stuff a lot of tricks and all my other daily shenanigans um, and that would be the main place to find me. Or you can check out my website, www.danshoner.com. All right, perfect. Thank you. And then you can also find me at teachmesomething.podcast. This is on Instagram. And uh, thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Of course. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Dan. As he mentioned in the episode, you can find him on Instagram at Dan Schoner, D-A-N-C-H-O-E-N-E-R. You can also find him on his website, danschoner.com. I'm going to put all the links in the show notes page. That way you can uh, reach out to him that way if you'd like. You can find me on Instagram at teachmesomething.podcast. And finally, thank you so much again for listening and for your support. I really appreciate it. And please like, subscribe, rate, review, do everything, do all the things. And um, I will see you next week. Thank you. Bye.